Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. You know, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said that you and I are to fight the good fight. He said we're to keep the faith and we're to finish the race. It's been a lot of preaching on that verse. But when I look at it and I look at the church today and I listen to people and I read the scriptures, I don't think we know how to fight. Which has a lot to do with why we struggle in keeping the faith and why we struggle with finishing the race. We still know how to fight. And so that that I want to speak of As we're in this series called Playroom, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to John 15. And I want to finish, if you will, what we talked about last week. I left it undone because there's part of the story that I I think we miss, and I don't want you to miss it. Now, if you weren't here, all I can say is I, I, I don't have enough time to walk you back through only to say that we were looking in Luke 24, talking about two people walking down a road toward a village called Emmaus. And Jesus shows up, but they don't recognize him. Which every encounter after the resurrection, when Jesus revealed himself, they didn't know who he was. And I think there's something profound to learn about that. And so they're on this journey, they have this walk with Jesus, they have no idea who Jesus is, even though they're disciples. They invite Jesus into their house, and when Jesus goes into the house, you might recall that Jesus did something that maybe we can quickly miss, but if you were to go back to 2,000 years ago when it was happening, it would have really messed with them. It would have thrown them off. Jesus steals the identity from Cleopas, who was one of the disciples that day. Because when you're in your home, as the man of the home, you're the head of the table. And yet Jesus comes in, and Jesus takes the bread, and he assumes that role. And I just want to simply say this again. Jesus is never a guest when you invite him in. He's always God. But I fear in the church, some treat him as a guest. And the reason I say that is because I hear a lot of people who call themselves Christians, I have to say it that way, because I agree with my father that I think there are so many in the church. He says this, the greatest mission field in the world, I believe, and I agree with him, is the average church pew in this country. What is my dad saying? My dad would say, I believe that many who come to church don't know him. They married the church. They don't know Christ. Listen to how they talk. Listen to what they talk about. Listen how they, if you will, interact with one another. Watch what they give allegiance to during the common day week. And I think there's a lot of people, they invite Jesus in as a guest, thinking he's a guest. He's never a guest. If you invite him in and think that you're head of the table and you have an opinion, he's not in the house. He's God. He always assumes the head of the table. 
And our job is to fall in, if you will, and let him be who he is. But they didn't even recognize him. But when he breaks the bread and he hands the bread and they take it, I simply said, what did they see? They saw his wounds. And that was the game changer. And the moment they see his wounds, they recognize who he is. And I simply said this, notice the entire journey as they're walking, they're looking at their wounds, their loss, their thoughts, what they think. But the moment they see his wounds, they're not thinking about theirs. And that's why I simply agree with my dad to say this. There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians who keep whining rather than being at the table dining. They're always talking about their shortcomings, what their life is about, how unfair this is. You didn't meet him yet. Because by his wounds, you're healed. A follower of Christ doesn't keep talking about their wounds. They don't have them anymore. They don't keep talking about how bad they got it and how things are going wrong and all of that stuff because they understand what the cross of Christ did. He set you free. You died to yourself and you're risen again in a new creation. But we don't hear that in the church today. We're always abusing grace and we always seem to be the focus. It's because we don't know how to fight. We're fighting wrongly. But I want you to catch this part of the story, and it's where I want to pick up. The moment they realize it's Jesus, what happens to Jesus? He disappears. The moment they recognize it's Jesus, he vanishes. And here's why. Because if he doesn't leave, our natural tendency is to cleave. Now let me help you with that. If he doesn't leave, our natural tendency is to cleave. Let me say it another way. Our natural tendency isn't to give, it's to gather. It's to hold on. And Jesus says, it's best that I go away. And I fear in the church, that same mindset is still there. You hear an older generation always trying to grasp to the past. Always wanting to go back to where we've been. And please hear this. I, I understand that older generation. But he's a God that's forward, not a God that's in the past. I'm grateful that touched you then. But to go back means then we have to repeat everything we've done. Because if we would have got it then, we wouldn't be repeating or going through what we're doing now. You, you don't have to like that. You can push me away. But I ask you to listen closely to this. Paul said we are to fight the good fight. We still not to fight. We're to press on to something greater. There are great moments in the past that I celebrate but my God is in the future, in the forward. I'm looking ahead. And I want you to hear this very carefully. I'm grateful that God did something back here to save you. He's the same God today, regardless of the culture. He's the same God. 
So we don't need to go back to an experience. We can press on to things that are even greater. Culture changes, but my Christ does not. He had to disappear. Do you know why? Because they'd still be sitting around the table consuming rather than going out and being. I remind you, they walked to Emmaus with heads down walking. When they saw Jesus' wounds and realized who he was, they got up and ran back. They were walking away from Jerusalem. When they saw it was Jesus, they turned and they ran back. And that's what we need to learn when we understand what it means to fight. What it means to fight. So I'm asking God if he will just show up in a mighty way because we desperately need him always, right? I, I want to say, you don't need my opinion. We need God's word. We need God's truth because it never returns void. So Father, I ask right now, I beg of you, you will show up. God, our natural tendency is to hold on, is to cleave. I get it. It's very true in my life as well. But God, you had to disappear. That was the game changer. And then you gave us this incredible gift called the Holy Spirit. Your presence in our lives. That's what Jesus meant and said, it's best that I go away, that I will send back the Spirit who will guide you, who will teach you. Unbelievable promises of who that spirit would be. And so God, I pray that your spirit would fall upon us and that your word would come alive in ways we've never seen before. And it wouldn't just transform us, but transfigure us in the likeness of you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. amen. Our natural tendency is to gather, not to give. Our natural tendency is to cleave. That's why he had to leave. And I want to help you with that. Now, some of you might have grown up, and I'd like a show of hands. You grew up with a mama or a grandma or someone in your home who liked to mark walls or door frames in measuring growth. How many ever had that? You know what I'm talking about. Every so often, they'd back you up against the door, back you up against the wall, and there would be dates, and there would be years, and little lines, and it would all be about marking progress, right? And it was exciting because you couldn't see it from day to day, but the moment you backed up and a new mark was made, it was like, whoa, I had no idea. And I got to thinking, what would it be like if we could do the same with our spiritual growth? Like out in the Welcome Center, we had a wall marking progress. Every six months, you could back up against the wall. And I just wonder if some of you might go, wow, look at me. This is crazy. I also wonder if some of you might be, man, I, man, I thought I grew more than that. But here's what I really fear. Are those that would be looking on going, how come they've grown more than me? I mean, that, that doesn't make sense. I hardly ever see them at church. Every time Pastor Keys calls, I'm out there serving. That doesn't make sense. I don't get it. But I want to remind you, our natural tendency is to gather. 
not give. Thus, I fear that if that was possible, it would be less about awareness and more about comparingness. And then feeling good about yourself. As if somehow for moving up the wall, God in heaven's going, well done. But what if I told you that I'm coming to a place that I don't think God wants me to grow? What if I told you that he could care less about growth? Now, before some of you think I've lost my mind, and before you run to the door thinking, I'm going to another church, of course you'd want to do that, because you know, right? But I offer this. Do we grow to know, or do we know to grow? See, I, I don't think God cares if I grow. I think what God cares is that I know. See, I think growth comes more about justification, which makes us the center. Because I hear it quite often. When you're doing something good, you feel pretty good about yourself. But you feel like you stumble and fall, then you justify the fact that, well, you know, we're all on a journey We're all like children. You know, none of us ever arrive. But who's the focus? You are. Where growth is about justification, where knowing is about sanctification. As I am holy, you be holy. And we quickly reply, well, none of us are perfect. And my question to you, and I wonder if God would say the same, why not? Well, because we're human. I understand that, but that's why I died in the cross. That would resurrect you in a new nature. Yeah, but we all make mistakes. Okay, that's humanity. I told you to walk by faith in the spirit of God. My spirit's perfect. Why do you keep making yourself the focus? Do we grow to know? Or do we know to grow? And I want to help you with this. See, see, I get it. We all have a uni universal desire to grow. I, I, I understand that. But it's actually by nature. But every one of us want our lives to be productive, fair? Every one of us wants our life to have value. Every one of us wants to know that our life matters. Think about that. Every one of us wants to experience that. And yet God already knows that your life matters. God already knows that your life has value. He's the one that created it. Which means that growth isn't out there. Growth is right here. Who decides that you have value? Maybe that's the problem, isn't it? Who decides that you get to grow? Who gets to mark the wall? And why would that matter anyway? But it does, doesn't it? So, so I get this thing about productivity. I don't know if you know this, the United States is only 4.29% of the global populace now. Countries are growing, ours is not, in comparison. It wasn't that long ago, we were 7% of the world's population. Today we are 4.29% of the global population. And yet, this country alone produces 40% of the world's good. 
we would stop and say, well, that's productivity. And I would agree. My question is, how much of what we produce has eternal value? The American church is on a decline. What's productivity? What is it about us? What really measures it? I mean, I know what the Bible says in John 15, 8. We're going to read this in a moment. But it says, it brings glory to God when we produce much fruit. So we would say, well, God wants us to be productive. In fact, it goes on to say, it's in that fruit that proves to the world that you're my disciples. In fact, it's what it means to be saved. Verse 16 says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, and I appointed you to go and produce fruit. But it doesn't say that. It says, I, I've appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit, eternal fruit, forever fruit, and you and I can't do that. It's impossible. So I believe that we don't grow to know it's in who we know that we grow. Because Jesus said, what if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? My natural tendency, yours, is to gather, not to give. But you ready for this? God's natural tendency is to give, not gather. For God so loved the world that he gave. See, productivity is not activity. Productivity is found in the person of Jesus Christ. I can't fabricate fruit. Only he can. And when you learn, you discover what it means to fight the good fight. That's why he calls it a good fight. The battle belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to me. It's in him that I have victory. I don't believe that God wants me to grow. I believe that God wants me to know. I do not read the Bible to grow. I read the Bible to know. I don't read books to grow. I read books to know. I'm so enamored by who my God is. I'm so enamored by who my Savior is. I just want to know him. And I want to show you how this works. Because if we're going to be in a playroom, what is it about a child what is it about a child? And I said it in the very first week, why I call this series. Think about it. When a child goes out to recess, when a child goes into play, they're not bringing in the baggage of what happened earlier that day. They're not in the room thinking about all the events and things that still are to come. They lose themselves in the moment as a child, completely unhindered by anything around them. They just play. Why is that? You ready for this? Because mom and dad got it all taken care of. They don't wake up at a young age thinking about who's going to buy the food and who's going to pay the bills. And that's what you and I tend to do. We get all caught up in the things of the world. And yet Jesus says, why do you worry about those things? Do you... Do you not know who I am? Do you know why we worry? We don't know him. Do you know why we try to hold on to things? We don't know him. When you understand who your father is, hmm, what can man do to me? I know who I believeth, and I'm convinced he's able. 
And the more I read the Bible, the more I know he just got it. So when all hell breaks loose, I don't react to that. You ready for this? Because all of heaven already did. Greater is he that is in me than anything in the world. What can, he, what can man do? Well, you might get persecuted. Okay. They might kill you. <laughs> it's a good day. I mean, I, I just, you don't, you don't get it. What can you do to me? You can all get up, walk out the door and badmouth me. And you ready for this? I don't care. What, what I love the fact is I've made such an impact after you leave, you're still talking about me. <laughs> I, I, I love the fact that my life makes such a difference and what I'm saying affects so many people, even if they leave, they can't shut up about it. Which means I'm controlling your life and you're not free in Jesus. Because I don't care what you say about me. I already know what he said about me. Do I have it all right? No, but neither do you. But I love you because that's what his love wants me to do. And the reason I do that is because I know that. I know who my Savior is. I don't grow to know. I know him. And because of that, I'm just growing. And I want to show you that. You and I can't fabricate fruit. You can't fabricate it. Only God can. I want that fruit, don't you? So I want to help you with this. So if you got your Bibles, I want to help you. John 15, show you how to fight this good fight. That's why, that's why over and over you'll see it. Consider to joy, Paul says, whatever you're going through. Rejoice in the Lord always. That's why I believe this. Those who know Christ, those who are truly followers, no one has more fun than those. Life is awesome. It's a party. You know what? It's just the difference. When I wake up, I sit on the toilet. Other people, they have to put their head in it. Okay? I, I'm just telling you, I like my life. I like it because I know that my life is hidden in Christ. And I want to show you this. I want to help you with this. And how we can be in the playroom and experience what a child. And so I'm going to read this, if you will, out of the New Living Translation. And again, if you got your Bibles, you're welcome to pull out your phone and click on it. I love having my Bible in my pocket so many times. But John 15, and I'm beginning in the very first verse. Jesus is speaking. I am the true grapevine. Now watch what he says of God. My father is the gardener. Anybody know what a gardener does? Wow. Look what he says. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Some of you go, well, there it is. See, we're supposed to be productive. No, 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 no. He's not talking about growing to know. Notice what he says. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce what? Even more. Even more. You have already been pruned and purified for the message I have given you. Now look at this. Remain in me. If you like to write in your Bible, circle that. If you like to highlight on your app, 
do that as well. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you can be not, listen to this, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Circle the word remain again. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I am then will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you can what? Do nothing. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. So here's what I want you to do. Take out your notes, and I want to talk about four keys of what it means to know is to grow. And I want to help you with this. I just want to help you understand the joy that, man, I have been experiencing, regardless of the circumstances I face. I don't want you to think that somehow my life is problem-free. Okay? It's not problem-free, but it's free of the problems controlling me. Because I know whom I believe if I'm convinced he's able. Whatever I face, I never face it alone. There's something about the vine that we need to learn. And so I want to give you four keys of what it means to know is to grow. What does it mean that God doesn't want us to grow to know? It's in knowing that we're growing. Here's the first one. I must cultivate deep roots. I must cultivate deep roots. I'm talking about nurturing. I'm talking about developing. I'm talking about this here. This is why we do what we do. I'm actually putting a message together right now. I'm just going to throw this out to you real quick. You want to write these down? You can. I'm not going to speak into them. But there's a reason why the first thing I do is wake up. And I wake up in Christ. I walk it out in Christ. I worship him because he is the Christ before I even think about work. I'm a big believer about morning time. I know some of you go, yeah, but, but I'm a night person. That may be true. But how you start your day is how you're going to walk through it. It is the day the Lord has made. It's not your day. There's nothing you have to do that has eternity on it without starting with God who has eternity in his hands. How do you wake up? This is why I prayer walk. I have to preach today. I was up early this morning, went out for two and a half miles, just walking with God. I love it. I just love it. And I will tell you, less is more. I get to do more because I'm less distracted by the things of the world and understanding the need of the vine. To know is to grow. It will never happen any other way. To know is to grow. Look at Jeremiah says in verse, uh, chapter 17, verses 8 and 9. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Notice where the roots are going. And have made the Lord their hope and confidence. This is what they did. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by the long months of drought. Their leaves stay green, now watch, and they never stop producing fruit. They can't fabricate it, but God does. I don't know if you know this, but did you know that a banana tree is practically indestructible? It's probably why we use those words, man, they've just gone bananas. You know what I mean? I mean, you can burn them, you can chop them, you can bulldoze them. And almost every time, they'll keep coming back, keep coming back. You know why? Their roots. It's their root system. 
The only way to get rid of a banana tree is to completely and totally uproot it. And I find it interesting that in the book of Proverbs, Solomon wrote, the righteous cannot be uprooted. The righteous, those who understand who God is, they know who he is. They just cult, that's just where they let those roots go. By the way, I don't know if you know this, God gave himself a name and it's called the Tetragrammaton. To the Israelites, they still have no clue how to pronounce it and you and I don't either. It was four letters, Y-H-W-H. They're the ones that stuck, if you will, the E in there twice, so it pronounced Yahweh. We do not know if it was an I or an O or a Q. We don't know. And you say, why would God do that? Because God is the substance of all things. He doesn't measure who he is by time and space. What happened in the garden, what's happening now, is all-encompassing in who God is. You and I call it history. To God, it's the very presence. It's as if it's happening right now. It's who he is. You don't escape it. What I'm trying to say is, he is the substance of all things. And until you plant your roots in him, you will never see anything that will grow, that will be lasting. The Israelites understood to know, to know who he is, is where everything happens. Our job is to cultivate that. By the way, do you know what they call a plant without roots? A tumbleweed. And there's too many of them in the church. They go from here to there, depending on which way the wind's blowing. By the way, anybody ever seen a tumbleweed? Ever pick fruit from it? There's too many in the church. Their branches just curl inward. But I need this, and I like this, and that's too long, and I don't like that, and this is... And the wind comes in, and they just roll right out the door. God didn't ask us to let it branches grow up and out. And they're to bear fruit. But they can't bear fruit unless they're grounded in him. Colossians 2 says this, since you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, notice not Savior, as Lord, live in union with him. Keep your roots deep in him and become stronger in your faith. I like the way Barbie says it, my assistant. I take my me and put it into he so I can be all things in Christ. I take my me and I put it into he so I can be all things in Christ. We got to cultivate deep roots. Here's number two. But I must eliminate the weeds. This is why we taught on margin. This is why we taught last week. Now, if you got your Bibles and want to flip over to Mark 4, you can do that as well. But Jesus illustrated this in, in a parable he called the parable of the sower. He tells of a farmer who sowed seed on four different kinds of soil. Now, the different kinds of soil represent four different responses to God's word. Four different kind of heart conditions. There's the hard heart. There's the impulsive heart. There's the crowded heart. And then there's the good heart. And if you read the passage in verse 19, he talks about the crowded heart. 
And the crowded heart is all about the destruction of weeds when they're not eliminated. Look at verse 19. But the worries of this life, think about the worries of this life. What is there to worry about? And yet how many Christians sit around and keep talking about what's happening in Washington? Listen, you'd say that's not important. My question to you is, can you make a difference? How is your complaining? How is your criticisms? What is that doing for the kingdom of God? So while you're sitting around and doing that, lost people are not hearing the gospel and people are dying going to hell. I did what I could do. I voted. But Washington's not calling me. And if I need to be led of God to write a letter, I will do so. But the moment I do and hit send, I'm getting back about the Father's business. And yet how many people do that? They listen to the news and all they do is let the negative come in and they just talk about it and they just talk about it and they just talk about it. And all I'm saying is, how is the kingdom getting better? And how is that helping you? That's why Paul said what? Let your mind feed on these things that are positive, that are good, that are eternal, that have lasting value. I will do what I can do, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus on the call that God gave me. And if I can make a difference, I'm gonna make a difference. But today, guess what? I'm not in D.C., I'm an SF and I'm, I'm standing on a place and I want to tell you about the good news of Jesus Christ because, and I'm going to keep saying it people because the government rests on his shoulders. There might be a few people think it's resting on theirs. Good luck with that. But I know who my savior is and I'm convinced he's able. I'm going to hold to that. I'm going to hold to that. You've got to eliminate the weeds and the crowded heart is the weeds but the worries of this life, it says, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and chokes the word. It's choking the word and it's making it what? Unfruitful. By the way, have you ever noticed that weeds grow easier than the stuff you wanted to grow? Anybody ever notice that? Okay. Have you ever noticed that an unattended weed will actually become a tree and now you have more problems? Have you ever noticed that weeds require no effort? <laughs> Is that crazy? And yet they can do enormous damage. Is that fair? Yeah. See, if you get into your Bibles, I want you to go to Luke 14. Because I want you to see what God's word says, not what Keith Loy says. I want you to see what God's word says. And this is Jesus speaking again, and I don't want you to miss this. Luke 14, I'm going to begin in the 16th verse. And I, want you to, I just want you to grasp what Jesus says, as he's talking about weeds. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. Now, I don't know about you, but when you have a wedding and you invite the guests, are they friends or foe? <laughs> They're friend, people you know, inner family, people you've done life with. So Jesus says, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations to all of those people. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field. I must inspect it. Please excuse me. 
Another said, I have just brought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious. He said, go quickly into the streets and the alley of the towns and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come in so that my house will be what? Full. Now watch this. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. None of those. None of those. These are his friends. The people that should have known better. The people he should have counted on. The people who said, we get it. And yet every one of them made an excuse. Here's my question. What excuses have you been making? See, that all, that, 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 that's all the fruit of what you know about him. He invites you to his banquet. I mean, I, I hear it. Pastor, I'd love to serve. I just don't have time. I'd love to tithe, but we, we got all these bills to pay. What, what, what excuse are you making that you've determined what Christianity is? That you're deciding and determining what it looks like for you, but it's not about you. The word of God is not a suggestion. It's God's authoritative word for your life. It's filled with truth that'll set you free. What weeds do you need to eliminate? You need to be honest with and say, I've, I've let that choke up. I, I've let that have its way too much. I, I, gotta, I gotta stop that. I've gotta put that aside. I've gotta cultivate because to know is to grow. I wanna know who my savior is because he knows best for my life, not me. That's why I share with you. I don't read the Bible to grow. I read it to know. I want to know this God in unbelievable ways because of what he's done for me. The fact that he would lay down his life. What weeds do you need to eliminate? Let, let me just say this. There's nothing more important than God. Ain't nothing. There's nothing. Here's number three. I must cooperate with God. See, if, if, if I don't understand what it really means as we're walking through this, what it really means to let those roots go deep and to eliminate the weeds. I'm not going to cooperate with him. He's not my partner. He's my father. And so over and over, it says remain. Look at verses one and two again. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that doesn't produce and he prunes those branches that bear fruit for even larger crops, that they'd have more let me just say this. God will prune your life. Has you figured that out yet? Whether you want him to or not, here's the deal. He'll either cut back or cut off. If you're going to be fruitful and you understand what it means to know, then you need to know that God will prune over and over and over again 
and again and again. He's the song that never ends. He goes on and on, my friend. Once you get started, he clips it back some more. <laughs> I want you to write this down. God's best requires my loss. God's best requires my loss. Sometimes God says no. And cooperating with God is okay. Sometimes God says no. But here's what I've discovered. His no is always greater than any of my yes. I have a lot of great ideas for God. Anybody else? I know this might shock you. He doesn't really listen to many of them. <laughs> Unless it's his idea, I just think it's mine, okay? But I'm okay with that. Because I know who he is. And I know that his best requires my loss. But my loss is always greater than anything I could ever imagine. Do you know that about him yet? Or are you still trying to figure that out? Oh, I just got to grow. You'll never get there. Because who's going to determine when you're there? Who decides when your life is of value? Who decides when your life matters? Who determines when you're productive? That's already been done and said before I was even born. To know is to grow. But now I want you to listen to this. You guys know how much I love big butts, okay? But do not confuse punishment with pruning. Please hear this. God never punishes. He did, that, he did that to Jesus on the cross. I want to say again, God never punishes. See, if you think that, because there are people in the church right now that they think every time they mess up, God's going to zap them, right? I mean, I, I've seen it. I watched it in a youth group one time. I think I shared it years and years ago. So I know that many of you haven't heard this years ago. Kid in my youth group was so mad. I asked them to pray in an event and they prayed. And their words were, oh God, I'm so mad at you. And they went off on God. And I'm not kidding you. You know where you lay hands on them? While he was praying, I'm watching the kids take their hands off and they're backing away. You know what I mean? It was no kidding. And there were some kids looking up, waiting for the fire to fall. See, that's the idea with God never punishes. God never punishes. You know why? You don't know him. If God wanted to punish you and I wouldn't be here. God hates sin. That's why he punished Jesus. All God does is prune. And I know this to be true. Some people go, oh, no, no. The Bible says that God sends people into everlasting punishment. No, he doesn't. It's not in the Bible. I don't know what when you're reading, you've heard it wrong. I can show you an over and over. Matthew 25, when he separates the sheep from the goats. To the sheep, he says what? He says, enter into my kingdom. It was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Those who didn't follow God, he says this. Depart from me, you cursed ones, to everlasting fire. You say, no, no, no. Listen to what he says. Everlasting fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. God sends no one away. What he discovered in creation, I can imagine how this hurts his heart. He didn't send anybody away. They walked away. He didn't send them into punishment. They chose punishment. The Bible says he created heaven that everyone would be there. He created hell 
for Satan and his angels. And I can't imagine what the heart of God is. Is that even though we love to say he's omnipresent, he's actually not, people. Again, because there is a place called hell that God created that lacks his presence. And I can't imagine what it does to God to think that some of his creation wants to be in a place without his presence. But that's their choice. It wasn't God's. God's choice is that you'd be with him in glory. That's who God is. He's an awesome God, amen? So don't confuse punishment with pruning. But pruning is what love does. Punishment is about the past. The old is gone. Pruning is about the future. The new has come. Hebrews 12 says this, no discipline seems pleasant for the time. It's painful. Later, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. Let me just say this. The best time to start serving is when you think you can't. The best time to start tithing is when it looks impossible. The best time to forgive is when you don't feel like it. You just cooperate with God. You let your roots go down. You let your roots go down and you watch what he can do. You, you cut away the weeds. You quit making excuses and you just cooperate with God. I just want to know him. God, you speak to me. You just tell me. When I was in my prayer walk this morning, I said, God, show me those things in my life. Just show them. I want, I want to know those things in my life that, that are just not right. And God reveals them because that's what love does. And he prunes it because I want that. I want to know him. I just want to know everything about him. And guess what happens? Growth happens. It's as natural as breathing. Here's number four, and I'm going to invite the team out. But I must patiently wait for God's harvest. I must patiently wait for God's harvest. You ready for this? Don't want to miss this. Waiting, how you wait, is the difference between his windfall and your downfall. Waiting is the difference from his windfall in your life and your downfall. Lasting fruit, his fruit, takes time. You don't plant today and expect a crop tomorrow. That's why Jesus said, if you remain, if you remain, if you remain... That's all I can do. I can't grow to know. All I can do is know him, and he's the one that establishes the growth. Let me tell you why this is so important. Because if we flip it, then we start looking around and start going, why is there 15 apples on Karen's tree and there's only one in mine? And the moment you do that, you miss what God's doing. Maybe the one on mine is the next Billy Graham. Who are you to tell me how I'm going to use your life? I've already deemed it worthy because of my son. I've already deemed it valuable because of my son. I've already told you that you matter because of my son. And when you know him and you know what he did for you and how much he loves you, what else is there? What else is there? My life is his life to do whatever he wants with it. He'll cut it back. He'll prune it. He'll water it and feed it. All I can do is be connected to the vine. I just want to know him. My sheep know my voice and they follow me. Do you know him? 
Or do you argue with the word? Well, but I know the Bible says, stop there. <laughs> if you know what the Bible says, that's it. That's the end of it. We have nothing else to talk about. But we think we have a right to then feed into it. You, you don't know him yet. You're still trying to figure that out. He didn't write this book to take away your fun. He gave us his word to give you joy and fulfillment and peace and victory and everything you can imagine. I came that you might have life and life to the full, abundantly, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I'm not out to get you. Don't be a person that takes. Let me be God and show you what I give. I don't grow to know. I know, and thus I grow. Folks, I understand about waiting. Nothing's more frustrating than waiting, right? whether it be a stoplight or a doctor's office. I actually thought about bringing a cage out here and letting you know the most lethal animal you can ever imagine. I mean, it's lethal. I thought about rolling it out here and covering it, and then I thought about pulling the curtain off, and inside the bars is a stoplight blinking yellow. Whoa. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'd be like, no! <laughs> you know? I get it. We don't like to wait. But you know why we don't like to wait? Because we've been bought into a world and a lie. We have so much to do, so much to get done. We have nothing to do and nothing to get done. And one day when we breathe our last, we're going to learn like that. The founder of Apple is dead. And the company exchanged hands and kept right on going. And hardly anybody talks about him anymore. That doesn't disrespect the dead. It's just an incredible picture of life. I'm not of this world. I've been bought with a price by a God who loves and adores me more than anything you can imagine. Keith, I don't need you to grow. I just want you to know who I am. Yahweh. And yet, again, we don't even know how to pronounce it. I'm God. I'm the substance of all things. I've created. I've put you into my image. I will do things in your life that you can't even fathom and begin to understand. I will position you and put you in places that I desire and want because I know what's best for your life. See, that's why the Bible says, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. How long can you wait? How long will you wait? By the way, I wrote this in my notes. How long you wait speaks volumes in who you know. I'm not going to hurry God. Several years ago, a group of scientists had been digging in some old Indian ruins and they found a corpse. Unbelievably true story. You can look it up yourself. They found an old Indian corpse they believe that roughly dates around 600 years old. It had been mummified. Around its neck was a beaded necklace. Believe it or not, they took one of the seeds from that necklace and planted it. Anybody know what happened? It grew. 
it actually grew. How long can you wait? I know that God gave a seed to Noah and the Bible says that Noah knew the Lord. He knew him. And he started building a boat in the middle of the desert about as far as you can get from water. And it never rained. And all of his friends like, what are you doing? I'm building a boat. What's a boat for? Well, it's going to rain. What's rain? Well, that water that's out there on the Mediterranean, you know, it's going to like fall from heaven. It's going to like fall out of the sky. Like, whoa. <laughs> you know what I mean? He kept right on building it for hundreds of years. Because his God told him to. And he knew his God. That's what it means to be righteous. He did what God asked, even though the world thought he was nuts. Let me tell you about a nutty world. They thought differently when it started to rain. They thought he was nuts. God gave a seed to Abraham. Abraham never saw it come true. 2,000 years he would have to wait for that seed to come true. But he knew his God. God gave a seed to Nehemiah. You can read that at the end of the Old Testament. And Nehemiah would never see that seed come to fruition. Yet he knew 400 years he would wait. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Patience. Those who wait upon the Lord, they get fresh strength. They mount on wings like eagles. They run. They never get tired. They walk. They never lag behind. God's work done God's way never lacks God's support. I know whom I believeth. I'm convinced he's able to guard that which I've entrusted until that day. I know whom I believeth. I don't grow to know. I know who he is. And because I know who he is, mm, I can face tomorrow. All fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living because I know. I know who I believe if I'm convinced he's able. He's got my marriage. He's got my kids. He's got it all. In his hands, he's got the whole world. I worry about nothing. And when I do, I take that thought captive. Because what I feel is so much lesser than my faith of a God I know. How about you? Don't grow. I don't think he cares. Because any growth comes from him. And that's his doing. And I'll just leave it in his hands. Because whatever he does, it's just good. Amen? Amen? Do you know him? Do you know him? If you do, maybe today you need to tell your wife or your husband. Maybe a call needs to be made and said, listen, I need to ask for forgiveness. I've been holding on to some things I shouldn't have been holding on to. As if somehow you need to be what I think you should be. 
I want to tell you, I know a God who loves us. Maybe you need to say that to a child, maybe a friend. Like I told you, maybe you need to be a hiatus from your phone. God didn't ask me to change the world. He already changed it. God didn't create me because he needed me. He created me so I could enjoy what he's already enjoying. He's God. Do you know him? Do you know him? Then let your roots go in him. Start reading the word. If you don't get into a life group, start doing those things. Have the honest question about the weeds in your life. And there might be some changes you need to make, but cut them out. Get rid of it. Start getting rid of those weeds that are choking up your life. Let your roots go down. And then listen to God and cooperate with him. Let that spirit, because I'm going to talk about that in the weeks ahead. Because God wants to help you understand how to hear his voice, but to cooperate. And then just wait. Let him do his thing. Enjoy. God's got it. Live today. He's got it. It will come true. Faithful is he. Amen? Amen? It will happen. It will happen. That's what the Bible says. It will happen. And so let me pray. Father, I, I think about this message right now. And we have to really stop and ask ourselves, what have we been doing? In our own minds, do we have a wall where we keep marking things and progress and deciding what's right and what's wrong and all of that? thinking somehow we're going to measure up, somehow it, that, that we compare. God, I only have one, and that's you, of which I could never compare. That's why you gave us Jesus, that I would die to Keith Loy and let you resurrect in him something so much amazing. I can't even fathom. That's why Paul said he'll do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything you could think or imagine. I don't need a line in a wall telling me I'm growing. I have a God who knows me, who loves me, will not fail me, will not forsake me, won't write me off. And God, when I think about those words, man, I want to know that God. I don't need to understand everything. What I do know is this. You gave me truth about you, truth of who you are to plant my life next to that river of truth, letting my roots go down. And by doing so, it's in even that I recognize the weeds, those things that I should not do. And when I start to worry, I just give that to you, just laying it at your feet. I don't need to worry about those things. You've got it. You're not going to fail me. I know whom I believeth. I know whom I believeth. And then you call me, you call me to cooperate. You speak into me through your word, through others. And you said, what I desire is that you love me and that you would obey. Just obey it. Trust it, no matter what. And then just to wait. Enjoy. Just to wait on you. God, thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, no one says... Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. 
You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.